Uh, but for now, let's, let's get into the word together so I can tell you what we're focusing on this summer. Because I said we're going to be in scripture, but our scripture actually has a focus. And so uh, would you go ahead and turn to Psalm 1 tonight? Turn to Psalm 1. If you heard me speak last night, like if you're a senior or a recent graduate, some of this is going to be familiar to you. Because I, I gave you some of this last night when I was saying, hey, you should come to the college ministry. But there's also some new things as well. There's a, a different focus as we're heading into the entire summer. Last night, I wanted to give you just a, a taste of some of the things that I wanted you to yearn for. Tonight, I'd love to set up for you guys exactly what we're going to be going through. So turn to Psalm 1. And as you're doing that, I want to talk to you just about the culture of summer. Like the culture that surrounds summer, like anywhere. Like summer vacation for most people is like this magical thing, right? Like it's a, it's a time to be outside. It's a time to see friends that you haven't seen in a long time. It's a time to do your internships and grow in a lot of life skills and things like that. It's a time to potentially travel to places, maybe pick up some extra work, make some extra money, get ready to be able to spend it all throughout the school year. Um, for many of you... The summer is a good reset button, a good reset button to just sort of come back to neutral, come back to home, and prepare yourself to head into the next school year. Unfortunately, when it comes to church culture, uh, the summer can often be what I, what I call a dangerous time because um, it's a time when people fall out of habits. It's a time when people fall out of routines. Like, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like, you spend more time outside than you normally do, whether it's, like, earlier in the morning. Usually it's later at night, right? Like, you spend more time outside than you might do throughout the school year. Um, you travel sometimes for days, sometimes for weeks at a time. You go on vacations or there's different work schedules. Like, you have a different schedule in the summer. Typically, that's what our culture does. You might be living in a different place or you just have a different friend group. Over the summer, people you don't normally see, or maybe you are away from people that you normally see because it's summer. Like this leads, all this leads to missing time in God's word. It leads to maybe you're not able to make it to church as often. Maybe it's a little more sporadic. Maybe you're not be able to be as connected. A lot of times it leads to those little things that no one else would notice but you, right? Like because you only you see your life. And uh, it could be things like being thrown off in prayer. Like your prayer routine's completely trash. It's out the window. Um, and maybe it literally is just being away from your normal small group, your normal group of accountability, the guys that are helping you walk alongside, the girls that are there living life with you. Like the summer can lead to all of these things being off in your life. And it is our goal in this group, and it's our goal this summer, to combat that. It's our goal for you to have a summer that's not a time of stagnation, but it's, it's a time of growth, a time of revitalization. And I, I would love for this summer to be a time where you recommit to certain spiritual disciplines or you pick up new ones that you've never even considered. I would love for it to be a time where you establish habits that are not only going to take you through the next school year, but will take you through your life and into eternity. That's what we want for you. That's what we're going to be focusing on this summer are the spiritual disciplines. And I, and I say the spiritual disciplines because there are specific ones that are listed in Scripture that a Christian does that helps them incorporate in their life a love for Christ, to incorporate in their life a desire to follow after him, 
to incorporate in their life a desire to do God's will. Like there are specific disciplines that we see, and I'm talking about ones like Bible reading, prayer, meditation, fasting, community, and there, there's, there's several more. But those are just a, an example of some of the things that we're going to be studying in these groups throughout the summer. Some of the things that I'm going to be mentioning here when I open up the word with you in this context, and they're the things that all throughout the summer our leaders are going to be encouraging you in to help you grow in them, to help you understand them. And all of that starts tonight. It starts tonight with a reminder. Or maybe it's a teaching if this is new to you. But either way, it starts with us starting our time in Psalm 1. So let me open here and let me read all of Psalm 1, and then let me explain to you why we are in this passage. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So I'm titling the message tonight, The Way. For all of you that have grown up in our youth group, you're immediately, you have a song playing in your head. You know it, right? Just try to put that on pause, right? We're not, we're not singing the way tonight. But we're calling the message the way. And if you notice, like if you're reading the ESV translation that I just read out of, you'll notice that the heading of the chapter says, the way of the righteous and the wicked. So that's an accurate title for this chapter because what did we just see that this psalm is about? This psalm is about two different ways. It's about the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. And as you scroll your eyes through this passage, you can sort of see this back and forth between the blessed and righteous and the wicked and sinners and scoffers. Like, there's this man here in verse 1 that's described as blessed, and we see that in verse 5, and then we see someone who's being blessed being described as righteous. Like, as we talk about the psalm, those are the same thing. Like somebody that is blessed is on the path of righteousness. So as we talk about this, just know that's interchangeable. Blessed and righteousness is interchangeable when it comes to this passage right here. So we see that, but then this other side, right? And there's a few different words, like wicked is what I've said, but scoffers, sinners, like that's all the exact same thing in this passage. So really it's just, it's just many different words for two different sides. And God's word is clearly telling us that there are two paths. There are two options, righteous or wicked. And I bring this up to you tonight because I want Psalm 1 to serve as a reminder, to serve as a reminder of what's at stake, a reminder of what we are called to do, of what we have been called to do. What you'll notice about this psalm is that it doesn't say It doesn't say that doing the things we're about to dive into make us righteous. Like, note that. Like, it doesn't say that the righteous man will be this because he does these things. But rather, it says that the man who is righteous does these 
things. You see the difference there? Like it's not making him righteous, but because he is righteous, he is doing these things. So it is describing a specific person. And and I want Psalm 1 to serve as a reminder that if you claim to be made righteous, which if you say you're a Christian, if you say you're a follower of Christ, what you are saying is that Christ has made you righteous. That is your identity. You are claiming to be one of these people. Like you are claiming to be on the path of righteousness. So if that's you, Psalm 1 is serving as a reminder of the things that are supposed to be setting you apart, of the things that you're supposed to be doing, because you're claiming that you are that righteous person, that you have been saved by Christ. And those things that we're just going to see a few of tonight, those things are the spiritual disciplines that we're talking about. In just a little bit, I'll I'll break down a few of them and show you how they're part of the spiritual disciplines. That's enough of me just giving you an overview. Let's get back into the text and and just get through it verse by verse and understand it just a little bit better. Look back at Psalm 1. The very first words say, blessed is the man. Now, man there is the word for person. It's the, the word in Hebrew for person. So it could be man or woman. It's not specifically talking about a man. It's like general man, kind person type of word. So meaning it could be either man or woman. So blessed is the man and blessed there. Blessed there is this really cool word. It actually has a double meaning in Hebrew. If you have the CSB, which I know a lot of you read as well, it'll say happy. You're like, man, that just sounds so different, right? Like, why would it say happy is the man when, like, the ESV says blessed? Well, that's because that word is, like, equally the same meaning. They're, like, intertwined. They can't be broken apart. Like, the type of blessing that it's talking about in this passage is a blessing that comes from the Lord. It's bestowed upon you. It's like an actual status of blessing, but it's also a blessing that means joy and fulfillment and happiness. Like it's a blessing that you can not only see, but that you can feel. Like that is what blessed means in this passage. It's literally to be satisfied. So we see that blessed is the man, meaning this person has a double blessing from God in their life. And blessed is the man who does what? Who walks not in the counsel of wicked? nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So let's just take some of those points and break them down. Like you are blessed, and by extension you're righteous. Remember, blessed and righteous are together in this passage. Like you are blessed and righteous if what? You don't walk, you don't stand, you don't sit. Like look at those three words. Walk, stand, sit meaning like literally anything you do. Like they're, the things in your life, you're doing one of those things typically when you accomplish them, right? You are either uh, walking, you are standing somewhere, or you're sitting, which is the same word for lying down in Hebrew. Like it means any aspect of your life, no matter what you are doing, is not influenced by the wicked. It's not influenced by the scoffers. It's not influenced by the sinners, That is what it means that the blessed man does not walk or sit or stand. It means he's not influenced. He doesn't look for praise from them. He doesn't take advice and counsel to heart from them. He doesn't put himself in the company to be identified as one of them. Now, 
I want to make that clarification. Jesus himself ate with sinners, dined with sinners, hung out with tax collectors and prostitutes, right? So what I'm, what I'm, say, I'm, what I'm not saying is that the righteous person stays away from sinners. But you know, Jesus never stopped looking like Jesus, even in the midst of them. And so the righteous one is not influenced by those sinners. The righteous one is not influenced by the wicked, even if they are among them. So the psalm goes on and describes what this person is like even more. Like they've already started to talk about what, like, what he's not like. But now we get to see what he is. Look at verse 3 there. It says, he is like a tree. He's planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in all that he does, he prospers. So the life of the blessed, and in contrast, we begin to see the, the true life of, of the wicked. So verse 3, we just saw the life of the blessed, right? Tree, planted, prosperous. Like We'll dive into that in a minute. But verse 4, contrast the wicked. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Just curious, anybody have any experience with chaff? Like anyone know what chaff is? Sort of a, a weird one for us here. Couple, right? People that have grown up around harvesting and things like that. A couple John Deere boys, pretty much. <laughs> so chaff, let me explain it to you. Um, how many of you know the story of Ruth and Boaz? Maybe a little bit more? Okay, so uh, the threshing floor is this term that happens in Ruth and Boaz because that's where, like, she goes down to meet him because it's harvest season and things like that. But what you need to know is that chaff is this useless piece of coating and, and stuff that attaches itself to, to grain. It's part of grain. It, it can't be used for anything, right? Actually makes it inedible a lot of times. Makes it hard to grind and mill and for bread and flour and stuff like that. And so back in the days before John Deere existed, the way that they would get rid of the chaff is that they would go to the threshing floor. They would put it on the ground or lay a blanket under it and they would toss it into the air. And as they tossed it into the air, the wind would drive the chaff away the useless things would be driven away, not to exist anymore, not to be a part of it. And the goodness of the grain would fall back down because the grain was heavy enough, but the chaff was not. It was a way that they disposed of the useless pieces that didn't belong with the good pieces. And so when he's saying that the wicked are not like the blessed, he's saying they're useless to be tossed away. To be counted as not good and not for anything. Like these are strong words now, right? Like we're talking about people. We're talking about people that exist. These are strong words. Righteous people are like trees. Like they're yielding fruit. They're not withering. They're, they're prospering. And like that prospering, like that can be a few different things. Like first and foremost, it's the prospering of eternal life. Like we know that for sure. We'll tie that in in just a second. But it could be prospering in real life too. Like we need to acknowledge that prospering from God and being blessed could very much be both in this life and in the life to come. Like there's a prospering that happens for those that are righteous. But then we see the wicked people are perishing we also see that they're wishy-washy, right? Just tossed like wind to and fro. We see that in God's plan, they will be described as useless. Like if, if this psalm wasn't already clear enough, what God has to say about the righteous versus the wicked, 
he finishes this psalm with like a super clear remark. Like look at verse six. Like he, he ends this with like, in case you had any questions. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now let's, let's focus in on this statement. So that word but is there, right? And that means in contrast to, meaning these are two opposite statements. These are two statements in contrast to one another. So in one way, there's the wicked that will perish, but then on the opposite end, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. Now let's, let's talk about the word knows for a minute because this is, it's unique. Like it, it means something special. We, we can't overlook this word um, because what we know for sure is that this has to be like deeper than what we think because God knows everything, right? Like, it's not special to say, like, God knows that. God, God actually knows the way of the wicked, too, right? He knows of them. He knows what they will do. He knows who they are. God knows everybody because he created everybody. Like, he, he knows all. So if this is standing in contrast to the, the wicked perishing, this must mean something deeper. So, so what does it mean? God's word here is saying that there is a path in life in which God intimately knows the ones who walk upon it. Like he doesn't just know of them. He doesn't just know what they will do. But he knows them in relationship. He knows them to their core. He knows them on a relational level. It's this deepness that can only be attained by those that walk that path, those that belong to him. And I think that the meaning of the, the two types of no becomes pretty clear when, when you bring up like the scariest verse in all of scripture. Like, I don't know what you're thinking of when I say that all of a sudden, but for me, like the scariest verse in all of scripture is found in the book of Matthew. Jesus is talking, Matthew chapter 7. And he says, not everyone says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And this is the part that gets to me. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then Jesus says, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You workers of lawlessness. I mean, Jesus knows everyone, right? Colossians says that Jesus, through him, everyone was created. And through him, all of creation continues to exist. Like Jesus is both the agent of creation and he's the sustainer of creation. So obviously Jesus knows everyone. But yet it says in this passage that at the end of days, that at the final judgment, there will be people that he says he does not know. Like to not be known by Jesus in that moment. So we can, we can see the difference there, right? That knows means something a lot deeper than, than we think it does. And what we learn is that if you are on that path of righteousness and blessing, like you can walk a way in which God will know you, and like that's a good thing. It's a, it's a blessed thing. It's actually the ultimate thing. Like to be known by God should be the most comforting, should be the most pleasing, should be the most amazing thing that's ever happened. Like to be known by the creator of the universe, 
in a way that saves you, redeems you in a way that completes you and makes you whole. It's something that not everyone in existence will get to claim. That's what we learned from that passage in Matthew, right? Not everyone in existence is going to get to claim that they knew Jesus. So in verse 6, there's the way of the righteous that the Lord knows, and then what? There's the way of the wicked. And what happens to the wicked? It says there in verse 6, you can look at it. The way of the wicked will perish. As in die. As in lose all hope and all semblance of goodness and life. As in suffer eternally, like live a life that, like their life might be filled with an abundance of things, but it is never filled with the abundance that comes from knowing Christ. That's a big difference. And so why am I showing you this tonight? Like, why did I say we're going to start with spiritual disciplines? Hey, we're going to talk about how to pray. We're going to talk about how to meditate, how to fast. Like, we're going to be going through these. Why did I start out with a message about, like, righteousness and blessing and, like, perishing and going to hell? Like, why would I start with this psalm when it comes to the spiritual disciplines? I'm bringing this because not a single one of you would say that you want to be in the path of the wicked. At least I hope not. If you do, you don't know what you're saying. Trust me, you don't know what you're saying. If you say you want to follow the path of the wicked. I don't think any of you would say you want to follow that path. I'd say most people, if I were to go out on the street right now, would say, yeah, I want to follow the good life. And I want to be the good life. Like, yeah, like good people go to heaven. That's what they would say. Like, that's the religion of America. Good people go to heaven, bad people don't. We all have eternity placed in our hearts. We all desire that. So I'm bringing this to you because I know that there is a common desire to walk among the blessed. There's a common desire to be on that path. There's a common desire to belong to the way. At the title of this message. And I'm bringing this to you because I know that many of you in this room, you belong to the way. Like, you know, that's actually what Christianity is called in Scripture. Like, before they're called Christians. Like, if you read in the book of Acts, like, it's in, like, almost every other chapter in Acts at this point. But it says, before they were called Christians, they were called people of the way. People who belonged to the way, which is like a really cool connection because Jesus himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that reference actually is to Psalm 1 that says that there is the the way that the Lord will know. So when Jesus says, I am the way, he's referencing Psalm 1 and saying like, he is the way of the righteous. He's the way that the Lord will know them. And then when people are saying they belong to the way, they're saying they're on that path. And so when you call yourself a Christian, you are saying, I belong to the way. How cool is it? Like all, the, all these connections are had and we get to partake in them. We get to live them out. And we get to see how they play out in our lives through the spiritual disciplines. That's why we're here. Because you say you belong to the way. I want to believe you. 
And so I want to help you. I want to help you mean it. I want to help you look at this and be like, yeah, I see these in my lives. I'm growing in these things. Like this message is not about to debate about what hell looks like and eternal suffering and all those things. This message is to just talk about if you claim this, then I want to help you claim it. If you claim this, then I want, to, I want to help you live it out. And so just a couple practicals right now to set up the rest of our time in the next several weeks so you can know what to expect. So look back at verse 1 and verse 2 here, and let's just list out some of the things that are actual spiritual disciplines in here. Back at verse 1 and 2, if you belong to the way, like if you are the, the blessed one, then you, uh, you protect yourself from the influence of the wicked. You see that there? Like, you don't walk, you don't sit, you don't stand. We talked about that one, right? Like, you protect yourself from the influence of the wicked. You work on being sanctified. You work on becoming more holy. But what's the next one there? It says that his delight is in the law of the Lord. So if you belong to the way, like, you delight in the word of God. Like, you find joy in it. You find peace in it. You find things that you can't find anywhere else in it. Like this summer, the goal is to help you grow in that delight, to grow in finding satisfaction in God's word. But it doesn't just say finding satisfaction in it. What does it say at the end of verse 2? It says, and on his law, he meditates day and night. Like the law is God's word in the Psalms. That's what it means. Like the law is, is the scriptures that, that the Hebrew people had. And so it's saying that not only do you protect yourself from the influence of the wicked, you delight in the word of God, but you meditate on the word of God. We want to help you meditate on the word of God. Now that means a few things. That means understanding the word of God, like actually being in it and reading it. But I don't know if you knew this, but meditation is actually its own spiritual practice. Like, I, I know you're like, whoa, whoa, like Christians don't meditate, right? That's like for other religions. No, actually Christians do meditate. It's a spiritual discipline, and it's one that our culture is losing sight of. But it's found all throughout Scripture, namely, like you can see it right here, right? Meditate on the Word, not just once, not during your 20-minute devotion while you're drinking coffee and eating your breakfast, not just enough time to post it on Insta or watch a TikTok or post it that way. Like, no, like you meditate on it day and night, and we want to help you do that. We want to help you learn how to meditate on it day and night. So those are just three right there, right? Like not even talking about, like, how do you be planted? Um, how do you bear fruit? How do you make sure that you're not withering, sustainable growth in the Lord? So that's where we are. Sort of a weird message, right? It's all just one big setup. Like you can walk through and hopefully you understand a lot more about Psalm 1 now and what it means. But my prayer is that you're just more excited for what's to come in the, in the next several weeks as we come together and we learn and we read together. If you have any questions about any of this, come find me. I'll be here all night while we're hanging out. Um, you can always shoot me an email as well. My email's on the website, codyr at cdbible.org, um, or you can find my number in the group me and text me that way as well. And I just want to say um, I'm really excited for our time together this summer. Still blows my mind that all of you keep on coming back every single week. You know, that right there, that just shows the, the faithfulness of God. Um, yeah, let me pray for us, and then uh, we'll continue. Lord, thank you so much for all that you've done in your word. And I pray, Father, that 
Um, whatever I've said here tonight, Lord, that if it was your word, it would ring true, it would have eternal impact, that it would pique our hearts and interests, and, and Lord, you would use your spirit for it. I pray that whatever I said that was me, Lord, would fall on deaf ears, that its impact wouldn't even reach the parking lot. Father, I know that there is growth that's going to happen in this ministry this summer that only you can do. Lord, I've seen you change lives over the last two years. I've seen you build relationships. I've seen you start them anew. I've seen you tear down relationships. I've seen people come to college and leave college. I've seen you call people to the world. I know there's so much you can do, but only you can do it, Father. And, and I ask that you would find us faithful and you would find us humble to seek you and desire what you may do. I pray for deep relationships. Lord, I pray that we have unfathomable deep relationships that don't make any sense after only having known each other for a day or a week or a couple weeks, but I pray that they're deep. I pray they're responsive. I pray they're spirit-filled. And I ask, Lord, that now as we head into a time of community, that it truly would be that. That it wouldn't be a time of forgetting what we just talked about, but it would be a time in building up our relationships with those around us so that we can talk even deeper as we grow in friendship and relationship with one another. Be with us and bless our time. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.